It's your Friday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Final show of the week. Hope you guys are having a good one out there. Good show coming up. Chris Hine from the Star Tribune joins me in just a little bit. Trade deadline is over in the NBA. Wolves have made their move acquiring Monty Morris, guard, uh, most recently of Detroit, more prominently with Denver for several years. He's had a Tim Connolly connection from their time there together. Connolly drafted him several years ago in the second round. Um, solid guy, solid guard. We'll hear from Chris as to how he thinks uh, Monty, Monty Morris fits into what the Wolves want to do. And um, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the Wolves game last night, too, in a little bit. They beat uh, Milwaukee, a shorthanded Bucks team, pretty handily in Milwaukee, a good bounce back win for the Wolves. So I'll get into trade deadline stuff with Chris in a bit and also the Wolves win in a little bit as well. Have a baseball streaming update uh, at the end of the show. First, though, what I miss, let's go with the NFL. It's Super Bowl weekend, right? It's Sunday. The big game is Sunday, two days from now. I don't know why. It's been, I haven't really thought so much about the game itself. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of, of intrigue to it. I think there's two pretty evenly matched, albeit different teams. I don't entirely trust San Francisco right now. I just don't think they've looked great in the playoffs, even though they've won both of their games against Green Bay and Detroit. I think you know, they've had to rally to do it and uh, and hasn't been entirely impressive, but maybe they have their best game and they and they win rather handily. I think I think if both teams are at their best, San Francisco is the better team. I just I don't think they're playing all that well right now. And Kansas City of course has the best quarterback in the planet, even if Jordan Addison might disagree. That was yesterday's show, talking to Jordan Addison, the Vikings wide receiver, about Kirk Cousins and other things. Uh, if you missed that, go check that out. That was a fun one on Thursday. Um, so get the Super Bowl, but there's two pieces of Vikings-related NFL news that I wanted to get to at the jump here. One, Mike Zimmer sounds like the former Vikings head coach is back in the NFL. Reports that he will be the new defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, of course, that is a job title he held previously. Um, you know, He was a defensive backs coach there for a while and then defensive coordinator in the early to mid-2000s. He was there um, you know, in the in the mid '90s when they won their last Super Bowl, and he's been out of coaching though essentially for the last two years since the Vikings fired him. Um, he's had you know two years where he did a little consulting, a player consultant. He worked a little bit for Deion Sanders, but he has not been in the NFL. He's 67. He started to wonder is he going to get another NFL job? And the answer appears to be yes. Um, Dan Quinn, the Cowboys' defensive coordinator, leaving to take the head coaching job in Washington. Takes over a Cowboys defense that's had its share of success, uh, even though they got walloped pretty good by Green Bay in the playoffs. Uh, Dallas has had some pretty good defenses the last couple of years, especially when it comes to takeaways. Zimmer, you know, I think he had a lot of good defenses in Minnesota, too, although the last couple, last few were not as good. It'll be interesting to see how he adapts to changes in the game you know things were starting to slip in minnesota when he was here whether that was personnel whether that was scheme is another question and now he's been out of the league a couple of years interesting fit there from that standpoint interesting too that he joins forces with the head coach that he battled a lot 
in the NFC North as a head coach, Mike McCarthy of the Green Bay Packers. You know, McCarthy was here for, I think, the first six years it would have been, the first five or six years of Zimmer's tenure. Um, did a lot of battle head-to-head as, as coaches. McCarthy more of an offensive coach, of course. Zimmer more of a defensive coach. They will join forces. Wonder if he was helped in this by willing to by his willingness to go to a team where the coach's uh, status is a little bit in doubt. Uh, McCarthy expected to be back for the 2024 season, even after that playoff disappointment. But sounds like he will not get an extension. He will be coaching on the final year of his deal. Um, maybe hard to convince. A young up-and-comer, let's say, to come and take a job for a team where you might be let go after a year. If they don't have success in Dallas this year, you could imagine them cleaning house, starting over, and having to go somewhere else. So I wonder if he's helped by that, his willingness to go there, regardless of what the terms might be, even if it is just for one year. And it's not not to say it will be for one year. If they have success, it'll be more than one year. But I'm just saying it might be hard to attract somebody else to that job who maybe wants a longer-term shot. Zimmer, more at the end of his career, obviously he's 67, wants another chance to get in the NFL. This is his chance. So I'll be watching that. That'll be interesting. I'm bummed the Vikings don't play the Cowboys this year. That'll have been fascinating, um, especially if he wound up going up against Kirk Cousins. Those guys, not a lot of warm fuzzies, not a lot of great, uh, not a, a lot of great memories of those two together. The tense moment at the end of that Detroit game a few years ago where they're you know going at it on the sidelines even as the Vikings are winning. That would have been a lot of fun. It's possible, I guess, that Kirk winds up somewhere else and he plays against Zimmer. Wouldn't be as much fun if it was Vikings against Cowboys. But um, good for Zimmer. Good to see him back in the NFL. And I'll be watching that storyline as the year goes on. Sticking with Vikings defense, Jared Allen. Vikings legend, sack master, denied again in his bid to get to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Our Mark Craig reporting on that Thursday night. Uh, Mark Craig, one of the 50 Hall of Fame voters, selection committee, um, talked to Jared Allen not that long ago. Jared Allen saying he's, quote, hugely disappointed and shocked that he did not get into the Hall of Fame. He's been a finalist now for four years. Um, 50 players, uh, 50 people, Mark Craig writes, have been a finalist for five or more years and then got in. So you would imagine Allen's time is coming. You'll think he'll be a five-time finalist next year. You'd imagine it'll happen for him someday. I think probably what made him upset and what raised some eyebrows, Dwight Freeney, excellent player in his own right, but a, an edge rusher like Allen who maybe doesn't compare as favorably statistic-wise, um, but did make an all-decade team, I believe, with the Colts. Um, he gets in on, I think, just his second try. That was an interesting, uh, interesting, a second year of eligibility. He didn't even make the cut to finalists last year, but he gets in this year. You look at the, you look at them side-by-side, side, you say, Allen maybe has the better credentials, but Freeney gets in. Interesting little side note there. So Jared Allen probably disapp- disappointed, he said right now. If you're a Vikings fan and you want to see more Vikings get in the Hall of Fame, you're probably disappointed right now. Sometimes this is just how the process plays out. But that was interesting to me that Dwight Freedy gets in. Jared Allen does not get in. Maybe he gets in next year. Maybe he just has to wait his turn a little bit. Or maybe he'll be one of those guys where he just never quite gets in. I don't know. Once you're in, you're in, obviously. But until that moment comes, until you get that call, nothing is for sure. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. 
the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Glad to be joined by Timberwolves beat writer Chris Hine on today's show, recapping the trade deadline. Um, not a lot of mystery to it. We kind of knew what the Wolves maybe wanted and needed. And Chris, they kind of went out and did it on Wednesday, and then Thursday was quiet. Yeah, yeah. This played out very predictably, I think. Uh, you know, it was kind of no secret who the Wolves were targeting. And, you know, Monte Morris has history with Tim Connolly in Denver uh, from their time together. Fits kind of the profile of what the Wolves are looking for. Some reliable point guard play, a little little shooting pop. Um, basically what they're looking for out of this out of this uh spot in the rotation, so to speak. You know, they they deal Shake Milton and Troy Brown, um, along with a 2030 second round pick, um, which just feels weird to say a 2030 second round draft pick um i don't i don't like to think that i don't like to, i don't like to think <laughs> yeah. that far into the future I'm, I'm, yeah neither neither do i um so but yeah I, I you know this is this move was necessitated because they weren't getting what they had hoped for in the shake milton signing whether it be just a bad fit or or what have you um you know this is why this move had to happen and uh, Troy Brown goes as a part of it in terms of the the salary matching aspect of it all. So the Wolves do have an open roster spot that they'll have to fill at some point in the next two weeks here. You know whether that be through the buyout market or you know kind of elevating maybe one of their two way players like Luca Garza perhaps to a to an NBA contract. Um, so we'll see how they choose to do that, but. Yeah, they, they needed a little more reliable scoring scoring pop off the bench, and that's why Monte Morris is here. Is this even more important just because, you know, Mike Conley Jr. has missed some games lately, and it wasn't like major injury. There was illness, there was rest, there's a little hamstring stuff going on, but he's had some durability questions in the past, and he's, you know, 36 years old. You don't want to get to a point where he's out for a while and you don't really know what you've got at point guard. I know McLaughlin's been playing decent minutes and has been playing pretty well, especially lately, but was, is Conley, you know, in terms of all of their starters, you know, Gobert's a veteran, but he's, he's not Conley's age. It was, is Conley maybe the most fragile spot where you're like, man, we, we got to make sure we're covered here. If we're going to, if we're going to be anything down the stretch and into the playoffs and maybe even limiting his minutes in some cases. Maybe, but I don't, I, I don't know. I think the, I think those concerns are maybe a little overblown. Okay. Um, you know, Mike Conley's done a really good job of making sure that he's ready on a on a kind of a night in night out basis. Um, and he had a goal of wanting to play all eighty two this year, um, didn't quite get there. But you know, I, I think this wouldn't have been a concern had they been again getting what they wanted out of Shake Milton. That was supposed to be the role. So I don't think it has anything to do with how they view or don't view Mike Conley and his durability issues. I think it's just that slot and what they're trying to get out of that spot on the roster. Um because I think they they do feel like they yeah not that they need necessarily like a true backup point guard because they have a lot of guys that can kind of fill in and patch those minutes up, whether it be McLaughlin or um Kyle Anderson handling the point 
a little bit on and I think Nikhil Alexander Walker has done a, a, a mm-hmm. pretty serviceable job in the times that Conley's had to sit of getting them into and out of the offense uh fairly okay, I think. So I, I do think that they just need a little more scoring. Um, because there are nights where the bench, if Nas Reed doesn't really have it going off the bench. Um, Alexander Walker, you kind of know what he's going to give you in terms of scoring. And Kyle Anderson has has struggled offensively to score this season. So if Nas doesn't have it going off the bench, then where's your bench production coming from? So I think that's what this move is designed to do. Shake Milton struggled, like we said. I mean, he started out the year in the rotation. They wanted him to take that role. What do they have? Do you do they have any? theories explanations as to why it just didn't work he was a pretty productive player a lot of the the time he was in philadelphia is it stylistic is it just didn't click do we know what why that experiment didn't work hard to really pinpoint it yeah um and maybe you know in the way once the trade becomes official maybe we'll get some we'll get some answers and maybe we'll ask shake down the road at, at some point if he returns to minnesota with detroit um but you know I think it was always kind of a toggle of like trying to have him play on or off the ball. Okay. And what does that look like? Um, you know, I think they thought he could do both. I, thought, I think they thought they were going to be getting a little more shooting out of him. And he just never found a groove early in the season. And you wonder if it started to snowball a little bit in terms of confidence or or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, it just sometimes it just doesn't quite work out and that's that's what happened here and like i said maybe we'll get some we'll get some answers in the in the coming days here when when the trade and everything becomes official and like Connolly and finch and and others can officially talk about what went on troy brown was nice depth and i thought he played well especially in you know in some cases where they were missing some of their wing players uh, some of their threes and fours but never really found a a steady role for him either this year so that that was you know if if there was two guys that were eminently expendable it was those two right it was and because of their salaries too i i thought i thought troy brown was a a pretty good fit here i i i thought he had some really nice moments earlier in the season um you know in particular that one game against oklahoma city he had a couple big shots uh, at home back in november and he he was in the rotation at that time, and I thought he was playing decently well. Um, but he just always seemed to be on the outside. You know, the the, the top eight for the Wolves is so solidified, um, and Finch doesn't always give minutes to a ninth player. So it was just always hard, just the way Finch is running his rotations, to have a ninth person crack it on a regular basis. Um, but I did. I, I I don't know that the the Wolves necessarily wanted to move off of Troy Brown. I think they liked him, um, but I think just because of the salary matching, you know, and making the numbers work, that that had to happen. Um, so that's that's kind of where that was at. And you know, but other than that, I thought he was a, a solid depth addition to this to this team. How do you think the minutes get divvied up now? Whose minutes does, I mean, assuming he's healthy, assuming he's productive, assuming he plays, I don't know, like 20 minutes a night. Whose minutes does Monty Morris take? Um, Good question. Um, Maybe, maybe it dips into Anderson's minutes a little bit. 
You know, okay. and and that becomes maybe more of an offense for defense kind of situation. Okay, just because Kyle has struggled so much just in terms of scoring that if on a given night you need that, um, you know, I think Nas's role is pretty solidified. I think mm-hmm. uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker's role is pretty solidified um, based on what they both bring. So I do think maybe that's kind of the toggle of minutes. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Um, maybe, maybe it does alleviate some of the pressure on Conley. You know, if, if maybe, you know, you're able to play him instead of 31, 32 minutes a night, maybe you're able to get by some nights with him playing like, let's say 28, Yeah, you know, or, or something like that. So I think there's a lot of ways it could work uh, really depending on opponent matchup and how well people are playing that night. Morris is a guy who started like 135 games the two seasons before this, but he's barely played this year. He's been hurt. Um, the games he has played, the numbers aren't great. It's a very small sample size. It's like six games, but are they are they pretty convinced they're getting the player that was, you know, that the body of work suggests he is and not the player who's, you know, been banged up and ineffective this year? Well, that's, that's what the bet is, yeah. yeah. That's why, you know, you're able to trade a second round pick six years six years out to to get yeah. him because it really is kind of like taking a flyer on him um given that he was hurt most of the year and he's really i i think the the word kind of seems to be he's got he's rounding himself back into shape you know when you're out that long it's like almost like hitting the reset button you know the way you would like in a training camp or or just trying to get your get yourself back in a rhythm. So, you know, I think the next few weeks that'll be what, what happens. So I, I guess the expectations, if you're, if you're looking for him to come in and make an immediate, immediate impact right away, I don't, I think I'd temper those and maybe, you know, once you clear the all-star break, he, he gets a little time settling, settling in a little more time to get reconditioned. And then, you know, a long homestand coming out of the all-star break, maybe that's where you see uh see his first real impact on this team, perhaps. Now, obviously, they're limited. The Wolves were by, you know, the Gobert trade get, makes means they can't trade a first-round pick for, you know, into the into the 30s, the, the, the 2030s. Uh, they can't trade a pick into, like, till like, 2031, a first-round pick anyway. So they probably mm-hmm. weren't going to be super involved in a blockbuster, especially with how good they've been. But did you get the sense that anything else was close, any other names that were intriguing. And we have everybody talked about Tyus Jones. And I feel like Morris is a little bit like Tyus Jones and that he can make a three. He's pretty dependable with the ball, doesn't turn it over. Maybe like Tyus Jones light to a certain degree. But did you get the sense they were close to anything else? Or was this just kind of the move that was that was the most likely this type of move? It's it seemed like it. I, I think it was low stakes. Um, I think they would have liked Tyus Jones but I think the asking price was too too big there. Um, and you saw Washington held on to him. So there must there was probably a disconnect between what Washington was hoping for and what was out there in terms of offers. I mean, it, there weren't a lot looking just looking around the league, there were not a lot of deals where first rounders were were being traded. Um, it was second round picks all over the place getting yeah. getting traded. Um, and so I think Washington, you know, maybe they Maybe they make an offer to Tyus in the in the offseason. Maybe it's a sign and trade kind of deal. Um, who knows? Um, but I, I I think the Wolves would have would have liked that, but it you know just didn't work out. And Monte Morris is a much lower risk kind of move. Don't have to give up as many assets uh, for for him. Both 
Monty Morris and Tyus Jones are free agents after the season. So, you know, it could be just a really a rental situation for either mm-hmm. one. You never know. Um, but they were, you know, they were looking at other at other players, too, you know, like, uh, you know, Doug McDermott. And, you know, I had a bunch of them listed in my yep. uh, little trade deadline primer the other day. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think those were the names they were looking at, but it, you know, Monte Morris always seemed to be kind of a, a a a easy fit, I guess, between team front office need and history, just kind of between the player and who's in charge here in Minnesota. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. He checks a lot of boxes, and you're right. There's the the Tim Connolly connection from a lot of his time in Denver. Um, around the league, there weren't like tons of blockbusters right like it was there's some fringe moves some decent moves it sounds like um there's a trade uh, hayward going to oklahoma city sounds like so maybe there's something there but you know it wasn't a wasn't a ton of like wow or like oh you, you didn't see like the those big big names trading changing teams at the deadline yeah no this was a very i think quiet and uneventful trade deadline just in terms of like the the moves that get people on Twitter riled up, you know, Kevin Durant's not moving at the deadline this year, right. you know, um, you know, James Harden's not moving at the deadline. Um, so yeah, when like the likes of, yeah, like Gordon Hayward is the, is the, among the, the prime yeah. time, the prime time moves, um, you know, it's not really good for the engagement on the old Twitter machine. <laughs> um, so quiet, quiet deadline. Overall, I think what you see is, you know, especially in the Western Conference, um, a lot of teams, it's open. You know, this is this is an open race for, for the West. Uh, it's an open race in the East, too, for that matter. You know, Boston looks like the, you know, the best team it has, but who's to say that's going to play out in the playoffs? That's not a given. Um, and in the West, especially, it feels very open. So, you know, Oklahoma City, I think people were really watching to see – just because of all the draft capital they have right. coming up in future years, and, you know, at what moment do they push the chips in the center of the table? And they didn't do that. Um, they didn't really have to give up all that much to get Gordon Hayward, um, at least comparatively speaking. Um, they still have a ton of draft capital to work with for the future. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I just think um, you know, a lot of, a lot of smaller moves, teams shoring up their depth trying to make those kind of the, those moves that just bolster a roster and and the wolves were were right there and they kind of struck early you know before the market really maybe had a chance to set itself and I suppose some of that is a lot of these teams are leveraged like the wolves they've made their blockbuster deal and given up all their picks they can't trade picks um so kind of like the wolves and some of it too is you know we've got this looming salary stuff coming at the end of this year I'm sure there's some teams that don't want to commit at this point or can't commit and you know kind of seeing what the realities are in the future so maybe it was destined to be like this from the jump and everybody's just kind of used to what's already happened before and in kind of being like oh what what are the big moves going to be yeah it's it's you always wonder that and i think with the with the wolves they're they're in a position now where you know as you as you detailed and as i've written it's you know you're limited by what happened in the past um, or with the Gobert trade. You have a core that's largely successful here that you don't want to be messing with too much. They've had their issues the last month, um, but you know what this team is capable of when healthy and when clicking on all cylinders. 
Um, and yeah, it, it's, you know, you don't want to make a move just for the sake of making a, a, a move, I think, which is what, you know, the knee jerk reaction often is in, in sports fandom. So they like where they're at, you know, we'll have the looming questions after the season, you know, with the, with the luxury tax and the second apron and all that, all that stuff. Um, but for right now, this is the best chance they've had in a long time to actually compete for a championship. So, so uh, that's the move they made. Yep. A couple final thoughts. One, I mean, going into the Milwaukee game Thursday night, I think in 10 of in their last 10 games before that, they lost a double digit fourth quarter lead four times. Um, when things like, when things mm-hmm. like this get clustered, we look for trends. I mean, there's probably some late game offense stuff that's been happening. There's some frustration there. What what did you see in, in a lot of those games where they just haven't been able to finish off a team, especially, you know, those games like Chicago the other night, where it's just like they have an opponent who's, you know, below 500. They're, they're up by 22 at halftime and they can't even get that one to the finish line. I think they just start trading the game very casually. You know, I, I think they get up and they think they can kind of coast I thought we were over and that. I thought we were done I, with that. I listen. This team still has young players on it. Yeah. Um. That and I think it just kind of gets out of rhythm. You know, like like the offense gets out of rhythm, and when that happens, it can affect the defense. Like offensive turnovers lead to transition points. Bad shots lead to transition opportunities. They had a, an old bugaboo come up the other night against Chicago, which was defensive rebounding, which has been better on right. the whole this year. Um, but I think that they are prone because one end of the floor affects the other so much for them that when it starts snowballing on offense, it can start snowballing on defense too. And I think that's what's, that's what's happened in some of these games, like the Orlando game and uh, the Chicago game. So, you know, I wrote I wrote the other day about, you know, just the fact that they are relying so much on two young players in Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels in crunch mm-hmm. time situations and to play smart basketball on a night in, night out basis. Um, and I think, you know, we're hitting a, a point in the season where whether it's them or everybody else around them or just the team as a whole, they, they could use a, a moment to refocus I feel like because they weren't making the mistakes and doing the things that they're doing now back in November and December. Um, But since the calendar turned to 2024, it feels a lot more like the team they were last year than the team they were earlier in this season. So they have a decision to make. Who are they going to be? Do you Um, share do you share Anthony Edwards confidence that they can get past this and figure it out before the end before the end of the year? He also said they weren't close. Okay, so he said they're close, but they're going to figure it out. Okay, so they're, they're, yeah. he said they're not close. That, okay, they're, they're not close, but they are going to figure yes. it out. Okay, so I, you know, I don't know which direction to go on that one. <laughs> well, um, they got to have Jaden's got to stop fouling guys in the last ten seconds. That would be helpful. Yeah, too. there's that too. Um, but that's what I mean. Like for every for every game that looks like the Oklahoma City game on the road, mm-hmm. right, where everything was clicking, the late game offense was great. Jaden had a tip in and a three. Yep. Um, Ant was making great decisions. You know, in the last three minutes, um, there's two. It seems like 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 uh, Chicago and like Orlando. Mm-hmm. It's all about that consistency. And right now. 
they're just not consistent enough in these kind of games. The Oklahoma City game is more of a rarity than it is the standard right now. And Chicago and Orlando and Charlotte and San Antonio are more of their recent standard. So they have to wake up and realize that they're their own worst enemy right now. They have nobody to blame but themselves for how the last few weeks have played out. Well, maybe Monty Morris will help. He should help if he's healthy and productive. It's just another kind of veteran calming presence. Maybe they needed that just as much as they need shooting, bench scoring. Those things all go hand in hand. So we'll see how much that impacts them the rest of the year. We'll see how much they are able to figure out. Chris Hine, appreciate it as always. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your road time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. No problem. Thank you, Mr. Rand. Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Good stuff from Chris. The Wolves on Thursday got a lead that even they couldn't blow. That's probably too harsh. Um, they played really well against a shorthanded Milwaukee team. No Damian Lillard, no Chris Middleton for the Bucks, but Giannis played. A lot of their other starters played. Wolves routed them 129 to 105. Really good bounce back win. Might have been one of the Wolves' best performances of the season. Um, so you, you get that. You get everybody going well in that game. So they got to feel better about themselves after blowing some of those leads lately, kind of get back on track. And after the game, uh, Chris Finch, uh, during the game, I think it was right before the game or during the game, the Wolves officially announced the Monte Morris trade, even though we knew it had happened. And uh, after the game, Chris Finch was asked about how Monte Morris fits in. I already talked to Chris Hine about this. Here are some of Chris Finch's thoughts on how Monte Morris integrates into the Wolves' uh, roster for the rest of the year. You know, he's a winner. He's uh, just kind of makes the right play, super solid, low turnover guy. Um you know, he's used to really playing with a lot of, you know, playing off of a lot of uh, kind of star players really well. I think, like, it's a fairly seamless uh, kind of com- a partnership with Mike. You know, it's not like you have, like, this other type of guard that you have to adjust to. Um, and just, you know, just his high basketball IQ, like, you can't have enough of those guys. I think there's certainly minutes to be had there. Uh, you know, guys like, you know, Jaden and Mike, of course, uh, have been logging heavy minutes. Um, you know, I think uh, Ant, uh, you know, we've been pushing his minutes out a little bit, like in this period of time here in the in the run-up to the All-Star break. Maybe we can steal a couple from him. So the, I don't think finding minutes will be a problem. Um it's just we're going to, you know, find the right combinations of guys, and that's kind of the fun part about it. The more I think about it, it's just the right, it's the right kind of move for this team. You could have, it, was, it didn't have to be exactly this player, but he, he checks a lot of boxes, gives them one more kind of steady veteran rotation player. If you felt like they were maybe one player away from that, gives them a little insurance against injury, things like that. Just a solid pickup, a solid move. Not like you doesn't move the needle from you know uh, might be good to automatically going to win. But um, you can't have enough players like him, especially when you get to the crunch time of games, especially when you get to the crunch time of seasons and the playoffs. Guy who's been through it. That that was a good pickup for the Wolves. I'm excited to see how he fits in and what he brings to this team the rest of the season. Let's finish with the cooler. 
Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred talking down at the owners' meetings in Florida said baseball wants a national streaming option by 2025 that would uh, get rid of all those local TV blackouts. I think they realistically would have loved to have it this year, but then kind of 11th hour deal making, Bally Sports, Diamond Sports back for another season with a lot of these teams, including the Twins. Twins deal, you remember, got negotiated last week. We learned about those details last week. That could be approved as soon as today. There's a hearing before a federal bankruptcy court judge to finalize those plans. Wonder if we'll find out details of exactly how much they're getting paid, the details of all those things. But it sure sounds like there's not going to be kind of that streaming option for out-of-market, in-market people, um, in-market people especially this year. Major League Baseball kind of wants that big package. It might have to wait till 2025. So the upshot of it, as we've talked about already, is that if you live in this market, you're still going to be blacked out from Twins games from a streaming perspective. You'll still be able to get them on cable, satellite, and a couple different of the kind of cable satellite-like streaming things like Fubo TV, like DirecTV Stream, but you will not be able to get them as a standalone product in 2024, which is, again, a disappointment to a lot of people, including, I would imagine, Rob Manfred and certainly to the Twins. So that's coming. You just got to wait another year, and that, to me, is a disappointment. You're missing out on another year where you could have moved this forward. Instead, you've just stayed with the status quo. That will do it for me today. Patrick Royce will join me on Monday. I'm sure we'll talk plenty about the Super Bowl, a lot of other stuff to get to on that show as well. Until then... I am Michael Rand. Enjoy your weekend. Back at it again on Monday.